Good evening. I'm Anthony Robustelli, author of I Want to Tell You, The Definitive Guide to the Music of the Beatles, and this is the Beatles' multi-track meltdown. Each week I'll be playing stripped-down, deconstructed mixes of classic Beatles songs, highlighting different instruments and vocals in a way that will truly amaze you. Imagine sitting in the control room at EMI Studios and having the opportunity to peel away the layers of a song, discovering new elements that you never knew existed. This is the closest you can get to that experience. So sit back, tune in, and enjoy the Beatles' multi-track meltdown. I'll make you maybe next time around. Tonight we're going to delve deep into the recording of three Beatles songs, one each from 1963, 64, and 65, with Volume 3 of the Beatles' recording sessions. We'll start with the second song recorded on February 11th, 1963, The Potboiler, I saw her standing there. Although the band attempted nine takes of the song, only three of which were complete, their first take ended up being the best, and the counting by an aggravated McCartney from take nine was edited to the top. One could see how he was frustrated at this point. The eighth note bass line lifted from Chuck Berry's I'm Talking About You would definitely get tiring after a number of takes at this tempo, and McCartney begins to complain that they're playing the song too fast by take six. This might have also just been his attempt to cover for a wrong word he sings right before George Martin stopped them. In any event, the bass playing is superb on take one. The ostinato pattern is a rare find in the Beatles catalog, although it is a foundation of early rock and roll music. Most blues bass tunes of the 50s are based on a repeated bass line playing through the 1-4-5 progression and was heard often in Beatles covers, but was rarely a part of their own songwriting. I saw her standing there, hold me tight, little child, what you're doing, day tripper, paperback writer, hey bulldog, birthday, and the ballad of John and Yoko are the very few examples. It's amusing to listen to the multiple takes of I saw her standing there and see how frustration crept in, something that apparently affected Harrison's playing the most. His solo on take one, the release take, is superb, but as take after take built up, he lost his focus. It's noteworthy that after two takes, they recorded three edit pieces of the solo section before attempting four more complete takes, only one of which, the last take, numbered take nine, was actually a full take. Initially, George Martin must have thought that a new solo could complete one of the first two takes. He needn't have bothered. Take one solo would become a classic. Much can be said about the ham-fingered style of some of Harrison's early guitar solos. While he was certainly no James Burton or Carl Perkins at this early stage, the lead work on I Saw Her Standing There is understated and weaves its way between the lead vocals in an extremely fluid way. Harrison's part is a mixture of low-twangy rockabilly-style licks and higher-register chordal stabs. McCartney isn't the only one taking his cues from Chuck Berry. Right from the intro, Harrison's simple chordal hook is infectious and gives us a phrase that would reappear throughout the song. Although he doesn't play a sharp nine on the 1-7 chord, as can be heard in I'm Talking About You, he does copy the rhythm of the guitar on the refrain of Berry's song. He begins with a partial E7 chord that heavily emphasizes the tritone relationship of the third and the seventh, followed by a bluesy lick that leads us into the A section. He subtly dances around the vocals with mostly low-register riffs until the A7 to C chord progression in the first chorus. At this point, he plays chords emphasizing the non-diatonic C chord that plays such an important role in the song. Many of the lead lines were not played on every take, and as the takes added up, the lead guitar riffs began to meander. The second verse features more twangy low riffs, but towards the end he outlines higher-register chords in a slow, arpeggiated style, leading us into the second chorus. 
Another cool feature of Harrison's playing and I saw her standing there is his use of low chromatic riffs leading into certain chords during both the verses and choruses. The bridge kicks into high gear with him playing a similar but not identical part to McCartney's, giving us some appealing harmonies at times. The real tension occurs in bar 5 as Harrison plays an eighth note riff that is divided into three note phrases, a very star-like rhythm, although star would achieve this effect with sixteenth notes. This adds a sense of anticipation as the four chord continues for an additional two bars before moving to the five for two and back down to the four for another two, hence the ten bar bridge. Lennon's rhythm guitar is infectious and its place in the stereo mix is curious. Interestingly, it's panned to the right with the lead vocal in the stereo version, but on take two and the following three edit pieces, the lead guitar is heard in the right channel with the lead vocal. On take six through nine, both guitars were panned left, and in take nine, the lead guitar is panned left until the solo, where we suddenly find it hard right. This was apparently done live in the studio to make it easier to overdub a solo if Harrison's wasn't quite up to snuff. It wasn't, but that was no matter because take one would produce the master. Only by listening to the left channel of take two can one really hear the manic energy of Lennon's playing. With the vocals and lead guitar panned hard right, the listener can experience the rhythm section, star McCartney and Lennon in all their glory. When you solo the right channel on the stereo LP version, you can truly hear how hard Lennon can groove on his own. 17, take one.
Edit piece, uh, take, same edit piece rather, take five.
17, track 2, take 10.
While recording Eight Days a Week, which at the time was in the running for the next Beatles single, Lennon wrote the guitar riff for the song that would become the next single, I Feel Fine. Lennon recalled, I wrote I Feel Fine around that riff going on in the background. I told them I'd write a song specially for the riff. So they said, yes, you go away and do that, knowing that we'd almost finished the album Beatles for Sale. Anyway, going into the studio one morning, I said to Ringo, I've written the song, but it's lousy. But we tried it, complete with riff, and it sounded like an A-side, so we decided to release it just like that. The inspiration for I Feel Fine was Bobby Parker's 1961 song Watch Your Step, with a drum beat reminiscent of Ray Charles's What I Say, a song that the Beatles performed countless times in Hamburg and Liverpool, at times extending it to 15-plus minutes. The song's intro was quite unique, incorporating feedback for the first time on a pop record. McCartney elaborated on how it came to be. John had a semi-acoustic Gibson guitar. It had a pickup on it, so it could be amplified. We were just about to walk away to listen to a take when John leaned his guitar against the amp. I can still see him doing it. Went, wah. And we went, what's that, voodoo? No, it's feedback. Wow, it's a great sound. George Martin was there, so he said, can we have that on the record? Well, I suppose we could. We could edit it on the front. It was a found object, an accident caused by leaning the guitar against the amp. It didn't need to be edited to the front, as it is heard in all takes of the song, including take one, which was played a whole step higher than the other takes. Also of note is the fact that Lennon sang vocals live with the rhythm section for the first five takes, but on take six, they decided to just concentrate on the backing and overdub the vocals. Although The Who and The Kinks had experimented with feedback live, Lennon was adamant that the Beatles were the first to do it on record, stating, I defy anybody to find a record, unless it's some old blues record in 1922, that uses feedback that way. It was the A-side of the Beatles' eighth single, and the sixth to hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100 in 1964, an all-time record. It was also the seventh number one that Lennon and McCartney wrote that year, another all-time record. Enjoy. Take 
Five. Take six.
Seven, take seven. Well, thanks very much, you know. And this is Paul McCartney. Yeah, you know. and me, I enjoyed it. Close the show tonight with Lennon's attempt to update 1963's This Boy, 1965's Yes It Is. While Lennon claimed in a 1980 interview that he didn't think it really worked, the harmonies are more complex than those sung in This Boy, and although the lyrics of both songs paint a somber picture, Yes It Is does it in a more creative way. The band recorded 14 takes before they decided on a suitable backing track, the most of any song recorded in 1965. The song, which was recorded the same day as Harrison's I Need You, uses the tone pedal on the guitar in a similar manner to the Harrison composition, but while it was overdubbed on I Need You, it was played live for much of Yes It Is. Harrison originally wanted to use the tone pedal on the guitar solo for Babies in Black after seeing the guitarist for the Remo 4, Colin Manley, use one, but it proved too difficult to pull off, so they came up with another solution for that song. Harrison stated, I could never coordinate it, so what we'd do is I'd play the part and John would kneel down in front of me and turn my guitar's volume control. By the time they recorded I Need You and Yes It Is, he had worked out the kinks. Although he turns in an inspired performance on Yes It Is, one mistake slipped through. Listen for a wrong chord, the fourth one, on the first middle section. 
Ding broke. Did you hear? Take three. Ready, ready to go now. One, two, three, four. Oh. I can, there's no marks on this. One, two, three, four. Five. That's in between the verses instead of going straight on to da 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 da. She'll be handsome. One, two, three, bread. Oh, sorry, I went wrong. One, two, three, four. Yes. Five. One, two, three, four. That was wrong.
Take very good. Ten. Fourteen. That's it, Beatles fans. I'm Anthony Robustelli, author of I Want to Tell You, The Definitive Guide to the Music of the Beatles, Volume 1, 1962-1963, and the Steely Dan FAQ. Tune in to hear more deconstructed mixes of classic Beatle tunes, solo cuts, live tracks, demos, and much more. You can stream past shows on SoundCloud or iTunes, and to pick up a copy of either of the books, you can go to thebeatlesiwanttotellyou.com for a signed copy, or to Amazon, or any of your favorite booksellers. And look out for a new CD release coming soon, The Steely Dan Sessions, interpretations of unrealized classics. You could also like the Facebook pages for The Beatles I Want to Tell You and The Steely Dan FAQ, and follow me on Instagram and Twitter 
Shady Bear BKLYN. See you next time.